Please stand for the reading of the word. This is from Luke 13, verse 31 to 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord, please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you today. I had the wonderful gift of uh, waking up an hour early, and I'm sure you did too. Thanks be to God, right? It's a good day. There's a game we play in our house. I want you to play it too, just for a minute. And I realize that we're social distanced, us that are here in the auditorium, you that are there in your couches, uh, but I want you to try to play with somebody near you. This is a game that we play at my house. If you could be any kind of animal, what kind of animal would you be? Now, there's two ways to answer this question. The first is the, the animal that you'd want to be, and then there's the animal you are, right? Those aren't always the same animal. I want to be a roaring lion. I end up a hibernating bear. It's the pandemic. It's not my fault. If you could, if you could be any kind of animal, what animal could you be? But then answer the second question. What's the animal that you are? Even if you're at home, I want you to play this game with us. Turn to the person next to you. Text somebody that's uh, not near you if you're, if, you're, if you're on your own. What kind of animal do you want to be? What kind of animal that you are? Take about 35 seconds to answer that question, just the two of you. Ready, set, go. All right, so maybe this is a revealing question, the, the animal that you want to be when you go to the zoo and then the animal that you are. I got to be honest with you. During this last year, the animal that I probably most closely resemble is a duck on a pond because a duck looks serene just moving along in the water smoothly and smoothly. But if you lured to see under the water, you would see those little feet just flapping furiously trying to stay in the same place. That's kind of been what my life has been like this last year. Maybe it's kind of like yours. The Pharisees are coming to warn Jesus about Herod, but it isn't what you think. 
Because up until this point in the book of Luke, the Pharisees have been uh, varying between cantankerous and outright hostile in meals, in the synagogue, every which way. There is conflict with Jesus. And so when they're coming to warn Jesus, it really isn't to ward him off of trouble. It's to get him off of mission. It's to scare him. It's to stop him from his purpose. And Jesus responds by calling Herod a fox. Now, there's a, there's a subtle difference between calling somebody clever like a fox and devious like a fox. And in the first century, a fox had a negative connotation, a sly, crafty, sinister, up to no good. A fox was the animal that got into your livestock and killed them all. A fox was kind of like a snake. I mean, you have to remember that, that Herod killed Jesus' cousin, John. And the Herodians were, were as this slippery and malicious politicians having to navigate on one side imperial Rome that just wanted control, on the other side this cantankerous and often prone to throw armed rebellion Jews on the other. And the Pharisees don't like Jesus any more than they like Herod. They just want Jesus to leave. And Jesus says, I will go after I've finished my work in three days. And suddenly, we know something that the Pharisees don't know. We know what Jesus is talking about because we have the eyes to see and we have ears to hear. Pray with me, please. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The earth is full of your glory. And this morning, we remind ourselves of that truth, that the earth is full of your glory. It is overflowing with the blessings of God. And we see these, and we are grateful for them. Even in sad mornings, where grief is dwelling in our hearts, we give you thanks. And so, Father, as we desperately need to hear a word from you, when we really need to see the truth of your son Jesus and the promise of the empty tomb, Father, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, Amen. So we're in this series called Gradient, and, and it's Gradient is kind of like that gradual dawning. It's that moment from right before sunrise when, when the sky turns that velvet purple and it moves to shades of pink and then eventually to blue. It's that transition of, of color. And we're in the season of Lent where we're, we're transitioning to Easter. We're getting our minds and our hearts ready for the resurrection. There was this ancient Greek poet who was quoted as saying, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one thing. Now, it could be that he's talking about hedgehogs. It could be he's talking about porcupines, but you kind of get the sense. Peter Fleck, who's reflecting on these words, writes, the poet may mean no more than that the fox, for all of his cunning, is defeated by the hedgehog's one defense. 
but taken figuratively, the words yield a sense in which they mark one of the deepest differences which divide human beings in general. For there exists a great chasm between those on one side who relate everything to a central vision, one system, and in terms of which they understand, think, and feel, and those on the other side whom pursue many ends and often unrelated and even contradictory, connected, if at all, in some sort of de facto way, related by no moral or aesthetic principle, their thought is scattered or diffused, moving on many levels without seeking to fit them into one unchanging, all-embracing inner vision. Jesus has one vision, one purpose. Earlier in the book, Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, and every step since then has been taking him to that city and to his death. He has one thing in mind. And it isn't anything like Herod, who was always scheming to get ahead, how to gain advantage politically, how to retain a market share and influence. Jesus has one thing. And you can see how this philosophy, how this principle works all over the place. Walmart is dominant because it focuses on one thing, efficient supply chains. Amazon is massive because it focuses on one thing, server capacity and efficiency. Disney is dominant because it focuses on one thing, quality guest experience over everyone else. Jeff Nelson is dominant because he does one thing. He outjoys everyone on Daylight Savings Day. <laughs> Y'all, I had an espresso and a coffee and a Coke, and I am still not as happy as Jeff Nelson. <laughs> he just woke up and rolled out of bed. Jeff tells Herod, uh, excuse me, Jesus tells Herod, <laughs> It's nice to have you guys back in the room when I make a mistake. Because i, I got to tell you guys, when this room was empty, and I, I don't know if you remember the half dozen mistakes I make every sermon, nobody would laugh, and I felt like an idiot. But you're laughing, and I feel better. That's good. Jesus tells Herod, I am too busy healing people to care about you. Stephen Montgomery, he tells a story about how Atlanta beat the Ku Klux Klan. You may have heard this story. Every year, the Ku Klux Klan would have a, a rally and a march, and they would walk through the city. They would walk on purpose right past the Ebenezer Baptist Church. And every year they did that to intimidate and sow fear with their robes and their numbers. And every year, the people there, particularly the African-American community, would close up their shops in fear and stay inside. Until one year, some people got a sense of the vision that God had for their city. And so they went outside to watch the parade, and they laughed. They laughed at the silliness of it. They laughed at those robes. And the Klan never marched down that road again. Tell that fox that being afraid of him is not the most important thing. He can't kill me. Not yet. And not here. Jesus has one thing that he must do. And it can't happen there because Jerusalem is the place that kills the prophets. 
And maybe in his head, he, he's thinking of Isaiah or Jeremiah or, or, or he has Zechariah in his mind. Jerusalem is so many things, but one of those things is a system where the religious authority is coupled with the political power, but it is also a pit of vipers, a den of thieves, full of wolves dressed like sheep. Why do the prophets die there? Because systems of power use every means to keep themselves in power. It's the way of the world. And it's true in your life, too. Have you ever tried to be added to the group chat? To get to sit at the right table? To be on the varsity team? To be invited to the party? And when you were finally able to, to, to be there, to be part of that, you realized just how mean everybody was that was at that circle? And how, if you wanted to stay, you were going to have to learn that kind of cruelty too? Jerusalem is the city of God, and it is the city that will murder God. Why is it so common that those that feel closest to God are often the greatest obstacle to God's plan? It's like there's a straight line between the city and churches that fought to keep Jews oppressed in Europe to keep the South racist and protected predator pastors from accountability. Jerusalem is the city that will welcome him with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna and then tear his body like wolves and crow with triumph when it is finished. Jesus laments the city and he laments the people. But that's not the animal Jesus thinks they are. When Jesus thinks of Jerusalem, he doesn't imagine a wolf or a snake or thieves. Jesus thinks the sound that comes from their mouth isn't a snarl or a roar, but a cheep. Cheep, 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 cheep. They are little chicks and he is a hen. Those fluffy little puffs of feathers and beaks so tiny, fragile, and vulnerable. You can go to Tractor Supply and you can pick one up and hold it in your hand. You can buy it for a dollar, but you might as well buy a dozen because they're so fragile. Not all of them are going to live. That's not the image we first thought, right? But Jesus sees the truth. Because I guarantee you, every heart sitting at that popular table or at the boardroom. They all want the same thing. They want to be loved and they want to be shown mercy and they want to be shown grace. There's this great old movie that came out a long time ago. Um, it's called The Sword and the Stone. It's like a Disney animated uh, film. And it it's, it's tells the tale of King Arthur. But the best part of that entire movie is this scene where Merlin the wizard is, is in a battle with Madame Mim. And they, they do this wizard battle by changing themselves into different animals. And so it's this kind of battle of wits as they, as they fight each other. Madame Wim chains herself into an elephant and, and grabs Merlin by the neck, and he changes himself into a mouse, which scares elephants, and so she has to run away. And have you ever played that game? I, we play that game in my house all the time. I can tell you where that game ends. It always ends in the same place. It ends with dinosaurs with lasers because those are by far the most dominant animal. And I think sometimes that's what the popular table does. And that's what the varsity team does. 
It plays this game of trying to be something they're not because they think they have to. And Jesus has such rich imagery to work with. He could have been the eagle from Exodus or could Hosea's jaguar or the the lion of Judah. But when push comes to shove to explain what he is in the world, he chooses a hen. Now, it may be a little odd to sit with Jesus's choice. Not as strong, not powerful, not male. This isn't the first time that God's people will use feminine energy or imagery to articulate the nature of God. And if that makes you uncomfortable, just sit with it. God's nature is an ocean so deep we will never see the bottom. A well so fathomless we will never drink our fill. God will surprise you. God will not be what you expect. But what we see that as is an invitation to journey deeper into the mystery of who God is. I mean, at least he could have picked the rooster, right? I mean, the rooster has that claw like a stiletto on the back of its leg. But not a hen. A hen can barely even fly. It just hops or falls and not that gracefully. There is only one thing a hen can do when the fox comes. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, if you have ever loved someone you could not protect, then you understand the depth of Jesus' lament. All you can do is open your arms. You cannot make anyone walk into them. Meanwhile, this is the most vulnerable posture in the world. Wings spread, breasts exposed. But if you mean what you say, then this is how you stand. There is only one thing a hen can do when the fox comes. Stand there, wings spread, breast exposed, and hope that his body will satisfy its appetite. This is what Jesus does. Jesus knows one thing. And he refuses to learn the way of the fox or the snake or the wolves. And so the fox will come, licking his chops, walking away in seeming victory. Feathers everywhere, chicks scatters. But the win is a loss. For in three days, when Jesus' work is done, that hen will rise up in victory, bearing the tooth marks of the evil one, because that love will not end. That is love that the evil one cannot steal away. This is who he is, the one who protects us. And maybe this gives a glimpse of who we are, the church. We are wolves who put down our snarl, vipers who put down our venom, thieves who gave it all up. We came to this place that protects the weak and the outcast and the rejected. Wings spread wide to cover the least of these. It's the place where our babies grow up to learn to fly or at least hop. And they're gonna fall and it's not gonna be gracefully. But this is the place where they learn to try again. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. He only does one thing. He invites you back. He invites you in to learn to put down the ways of the fox, the wolf, and the snake, 
and be loved. So maybe the word we need to hear today is repent. Repent and find the big purpose in your life and learn what your one thing truly is. Thanks be to God. So repent for the kingdom of God is near. And I think that kingdom's gonna look a little different than we think. I think it's gonna look like love and I think it's gonna look like joy. And I think it's gonna look like home. Like a hen that spreads its wings and gathers you home. So be bold and brave as you face the wolves and the vipers and the thieves who are gonna try to steal everything for you. For you are God's child. He is your hidden. May you be filled with God's presence. May you see him every day.